Welcome listeners to a very special episode of Anti-Culture. It is our season five finale, and it is also the official listening companion to the brand new, released this morning, 17 times extended play project by the delightful Kaya Allo. If you're just tuning in now for the first time to hear our discussion of the project and listen along as you enjoy 17 times, welcome. My name is Josiah Sinanen, I am the host of this podcast, and I am a huge advocate for discussing identity, culture, artistry, individuality, and Kaya is a friend who has always been a part of those discussions throughout our friendship and has since become a friend of the show. Those who are regular listeners will recognize her from season three's look at the music industry and season four's commentary on Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's Oprah appearance. I've invited her back to close our season and also fulfill a dream of mine as she fulfills her own. We are doing a track-by-track interview for her first EP project and we wanted to dive deep together into her latest labor of love. If you haven't heard it already, I would recommend that you pause this episode and go download and stream 17 times by Kaya Allo wherever you get your music. Once you've given it at least one listen through, come on back. If you're here for some social commentary and what you usually love about anti-culture, I think you'll also find our discussion invigorating. So don't pull back too soon. Please pull up a seat at the table and join our conversation. So let's get into it. I have posted a guide in the show notes. If you're wanting to just hear the track by track, you can take a look and find the timestamps for each song on the EP and our discussion of it so you don't have to listen all the way through if you don't want to, if you're here for that purpose. Of course, I welcome you to also listen through fully as you see fit. Kaya Allo describes this project as something you can come back to over and over again and Just as the album, just as the EP, I hope that this companion helps you on your own journey. Without further delay, here is my conversation with musician and artist Kaya Allo on her 17 Times project. We are here with Kaya Allo, the one and only. This is coming out on the release of 17 Times. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. Why don't you give me a little bit of how you're feeling, where you're at? I'm feeling really grateful. I'm in utter bliss right now in this moment. Um, I did one of my favorite things, which is teach a spin class a few moments ago. So that always puts me in the best mood. And to be able to celebrate the release of my single trials this week and feel the love in a room and sweat, I'm I'm the happiest girl. So this is your first, like, package project of multiple tracks in one unit and now you're on the other side did it take a while to get here too long it took 17 years (laughs) literally (laughs) yeah it took a really long time to get here um so many learning lessons stumbling blocks detours starts stops pauses um but i wouldn't have it any other way And why do you think the timing worked out so perfectly for this project? I think I just landed into a space in myself that feels really good. Um, I've gone through so many experiences over the last few years before the pandemic, then the pandemic, then, you know, the height of Black Lives Matter a couple of years ago. That felt really transformative for me, Um, not only as a Black woman living in Canada, but also as a person. Um, living in these times, I felt called to to a change. Um, and I think that coupled with, you know, experiences of learning how to work with others, how to work with creatives, how to have boundaries. Um, I think we talked about that last time. I think I was uh, just at the beginning of that journey when we spoke last, but I feel, I mean, I'm definitely not at the end. This is a, a forever journey. But where I'm at right now, I feel really good. I feel really solid. Um, And it felt like a release. That is what 17 times is. 
it is me processing, making a safe space for me to feel and release all of these experiences and things. And then it ends with a soft song that lets you kind of lay it on the riverbank of your, of your life, whatever, and then walk away from it. So, yeah. Yeah, that does sound like, it, it feels like a culmination. And I'm curious how you would describe the Kaya Allo that we've seen so far with the four singles that have come out before this project. We've heard from you. We've experienced different layers to this character that is Kaya Allo. Now you have this one piece of work that's standing on its own. How is Kaya Allo different than how we've come to know her so far? The Kyle of the first four singles, that was, I was a newborn. <laughs> um, it was my first foray into music, a lot of learning um, of how to even put music out in this time. How does it work to even just do the logistics of that? But I think personally, that Kaya Allo was seeking so much validation from mm. anybody and everybody. And I feel like when life sees kind of a weak spot in, in us, we get perpetual invitations in that specific area and we get a choice to either accept them or to keep rejecting them. And I felt confronted with that over the last couple of years after I'd put out the first four singles. I started in 2019. Um, and then put out uh, three singles back to back in 2020. And then I've taken the last two years to just kind of sit with myself and find out why I needed validation from so many people, why it affected me and why it meant so much. And the Kyle of now has come to the realization that whether you are Beyonce or Jesus Christ, there are always going to be people that don't like you. So let it go. <laughs> so that was a big learning. It's been helpful to watch Beyonce with her rollout now and see that despite her efforts of, you know, doing a me too check on every collaborator and trying to go through all her due diligence, she's still making mistakes. And there are also still people that aren't happy with her work. Um, and she gets to make a choice. Do you please the people that are complaining or do you stick with, with your lovers? And I think when I was able to stop and sit with that, there's so much love that exists around me, around all of us. And we all get that choice to exist in the love and the light or focus on those that might not be in that space. And I think focusing my energy was really helpful for this project and for me as a person coming to a place of self-acceptance that if I'm proud of myself, that's kind of all that matters. A huge important lesson that I learned probably within the last year and a half through different life experiences was observing all of the ways that Black women are expected to be so grateful for crumbs. If you think about Black women specifically when it comes to art and culture, we are such huge influences on art and culture. Hairstyles, jewelry, makeup, music, dances, but we don't get to benefit off that. Other counterparts get to take that they get to run with it. They get to profit. And then we get a fraction of that and are expected to be so grateful for fractions and crumbs. And I think part of that realization for me now is that I actually don't need to be grateful for crumbs. And I am so thankful for other Black women that are pioneers right now that are being so vocal about that, not only for myself, but it's so exciting for younger women that are younger than me that we now get to have these examples that are saying, no, you are worthy of the, full of the full pie, of the full loaf. You do not have to settle for crumbs and grovel and be grateful for that. That's been huge, really, really huge. Yeah, and I feel like you can feel that in this project, that it's an empowerment of you self-accepting, not accepting crumbs from people. This is the real you. This is excellent work that you've poured your heart and soul into. And it's empowering to listen to that. And I think it's rare, more rare than we realize, because there's so much going on in the background for, for a lot of artists that work on projects, but you had this beautiful opportunity to put your heart and soul into something over a period of a few years, and it's just turned out so wonderfully. So congratulations, and thank you for sharing that. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, I'm going to do a little track by track with you, which I think will be really fun. 
And I love this. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I think I might brand this episode as a bit of a listening companion to Seventeen Times. Yes, please. So the official can, one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's on record, so I'm yes. holding you to that. <laughs> but let's start with the project at its whole. We're gonna get into a few themes here, but tell me about the title Seventeen Times. I know this is something you've spoken about before, but maybe just uh, where did that come from? How did it? How did it integrate into becoming the title? It's kind of an arbitrary number, but um, it initially, when I thought about this title many years ago, I had left a therapy session that was particularly difficult and um, was just unpacking a lot of, a lot of things from my childhood, um, you know, different traumas and um, learning how to develop new coping mechanisms and understanding that the coping, the coping mechanisms of the past um, do not really serve the new person that I was becoming. And so 17 times started as an, a figurative number that represented all of the times that I tried to give up when I was younger. Um, I had tried to commit suicide a few times when I was younger, um, but there was always something, a, a force that is beyond me that always just kept me going and kept me alive and, and kept saying that you deserve to be here. You deserve to be alive. So 17 times it, it signifies that for me, but for the listener, I really wanted it to represent all of the tiny deaths that we die in a day, choices we make when we give up our freedom, when we give up pieces of ourselves when we don't want to. Um, it could be small things like microaggressions that people of color experience or you know, people in the workplace when you say yes, when you really want to say no and you're feeling pressure, all of those tiny losses and tiny deaths that we suffer in a day this is a pocket of space that you get to process all of those release them learn from them heal and then move forward that's so beautiful and i think you really feel that in the themes of the songs there's like almost this back and forth this exchange just questioning within yourself and yes. then there's those moments where you come to acceptance and confidence and it's all in there and i think it's so timely for what we've all experienced in the past few years too. And everyone has their 17 times. They might just look different. Absolutely. That's such a beautiful way to put it. Well, let's jump into the tracks. Let's, let's, uh, do let's it. take a journey through this beautiful project. And it, it starts off very uh, different than I think people might be expecting. We have this beautiful intro. It is the silence that gets harder when the counting begins one Two. The counting begins, and it is a spoken word piece. Can you tell us about who you selected for that and why it opens the album? I am so honored to have Priscilla Bukasa, a Calgary-based spoken word poet, open the entire project. I had approached her a few years ago um, before anything had been incepted, just an idea. I just had a title. And I approached her and we had a beautiful time having coffee and chatting about what 17 times meant to me and what it meant to her. And before she heard a single sound, she kind of took away our discussion and came back. And this is what she presented. And I was blown away. I was holding back tears in the studio as she came to record um, this poem because the, the feeling and the power behind her voice uh, really, really captures everything I want to say and I wanted that to introduce the whole EP to let the listener know that this is not a willy-nilly project that you can just throw aside or put in the background this is something that you need to sit down and listen to that's how I feel whenever I see her perform every room I've been in when she's performed the whole room stops and we hold our breaths and we hear her captivate us and harness her power and I'm so honored that she was able to bring that onto this project. That's so cool. And I feel like it's extremely special that she wrote something specifically for your project. Like, that's a huge honor. It's not a sample. It's not a, you know, collab. It, this is just for you and based on your vision. So that's really wonderful. I'm curious how she spoke to you about this piece or did she just come into the studio and start recording or did she give you some backstory like, hey, this is what I'm going to be speaking about for your project did she give you any backstory no I got to feel it for the first time when she opened her mouth and spoke 
Wow. And I'm really grateful we did it that way because I got to feel the full impact of it. I think had she sent it over and I'd read it, I would have, the perfectionist in me would have wanted to make changes or edits. And I'm so grateful that I just gave her full creative license to show up to the studio with a piece and speak it into the mic. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. It really does, like you said, captivate you. Like it has you, I think it's so smart because it has you stop and pay attention right away. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. the flow into the next track is like, perfect and it feels so visual I don't know I I just really admire the way that you chose the ordering of this project too was that a process it was absolutely intentional I think it was a big learning experience for me because I'd only put out singles before I'd never put out a full body of work and the time and energy it takes to actually put a puzzle piece together to bring together a full body of work that flows that has intention I wanted to do that right and I'm so thankful to have been able to enlist uh, Timothonius Alai. He's a local um, piano composer in the city. And he brought all of his musical ability and knowledge because he's classically trained. And I think that was such a gift that he brought onto the project. Um, going through the circle of fifths, I'd never done that before. To, to select keys, to make sure all the songs flowed, he brought that knowledge onto the album. And really, he was the glue that kind of brought all of the the songs together. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you can see, that you can hear and feel the intention. And I'm so glad that you say that it feels visual when you listen, because I watched a lot of films throughout the making of this EP. Films are my biggest source of inspiration on mute, watching on mute, and then watching a scene over and over and over again, repeating a scene, watching faces and expressions and feeling and writing from that place, that was huge for me. So I'm, I'm really glad that, that that comes across. It definitely does. And that makes so much sense now that you explain that, you know, all this was intentional because <laughs> some of the transitions are just so cool because you go from theme to theme, but it feels like almost like, I don't know, like to me personally, it feels like, I mean, we're going into late to this party next and it feels like I'm entering it feels like a whole course of an evening for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I go through, I feel like I just related so much to all the things you spoke about, but yet you can be out and experiencing all these deep things. And let's talk about Late to This Party. So late to this party. <sighs> this is, yeah, to me, this is, one of my favorites on the album. I know it's shorter. Um, and I think it is for me the most visual because it kind of sets this scene. And at the same time, like, I guess what I'm picturing when I listen to this is like, you're late to the party. But at the same time, we enter into your mind almost like there's there's more going on there. There's more preoccupied thoughts. It's very flowy. Um, it's yeah it's just a vibe like tell us about this song like what were you thinking that's my interpretation but oh I love how you describe this song it makes me so happy um but yeah it it was intentional that you would think something like this would end a project but to begin with feeling like you missed out um that's that was my intention where you've arrived and the room is empty there's balloons there's you know trash all over the floor and no one is there and now you're sat there with the emptiness of a room and you're by yourself and then the project begins um so that that was that was my intention with that um the keys are so emotional i loved what timothonius did with those and having another local artist um by the name of blessing she brought all of the fullness of her voice to the backgrounds the how you kind of get absorbed into that as it swells and it grows. Um, I wanted the listener to have a moment after they've heard Priscilla tell them to sit down to now get immersed. So let's talk about Embers. It feels like when this song starts, now we're here. Mm -hmm. And there's this, I don't know, this whoosh, this shift. Could have done better 
the lyrics get very cryptic and a little more deep, a little more personal. And it's such a haunting song. And yet I love the percussion choice in this too. Those like tribal drums near the end are just so cool. Like this is just like a bomb track. I love it. (laughs) I'm so glad. It was the first song I wrote um, when I started thinking. Yeah, when I first started thinking about this EP and as you speak about the percussion choices and the drums, I, I have to give credit to my production um, partners, my producers, Matt Zodeman and, and Raja. Uh, they were so instrumental in, in articulating my ideas into sound. Um, I, I think especially with Raja, he's an R&B producer. So all of the small nuanced sounds, I'm so grateful that he was able to bring that in because I couldn't have conceptualize them but once I heard them they fit so perfect but in terms of writing it was just a stream of consciousness I was processing a lot of loss a lot of loss of relationship of different capacity losing people is hard you know when you have to let each other go um, it's really difficult and it does feel like you know when you're at the height of conflict a house is on fire and then the fire's been put out but the embers are still burning you know the destruction is still there and, and processing that, I, that is, that's the state that I was going through. I'd lost money. I'd lost friends. I'd lost my partner at that time. And I was just kind of sitting in the rub in the rubble processing all of this loss and trying to figure out what I could salvage uh, of myself, um, what I could salvage of those relationships. Could I come back into them or were they done for good? And I, I really wrote this song for the listener to be able to, to sit in the rubble. I think so much of our culture now is, is quick. It's fleeting. You know, we're, we're in a TikTok phase. And I wanted people to be able to actually experience that phase of loss, to sit with it. It's, and, and, you know, when, when you've lost something or when you've hurt yourself and people are so quick to say, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. And to sit in the pain with, with yourself or with somebody and to just feel pain. Um, I think that's so such an important part of the healing process and the healing journey. And I wrote this song for the listener to be able to sit in that loss for the two or three minutes and just cry, release, feel, feel it all as Feist would say, feel it all. Um, so, <laughs> so that's, that, that was Embers. It was the beginning stages of, of my processing. It feels like this is kind of where we're introduced for the first time on the project to this concept of an exchange. Um, Mm -hmm. And that lyric about holy fire, holy water for embers. Mm -hmm. Can that, can you get into that lyric too? What, what's the, what's the first sacrifice that you're talking about here? What are you giving up and what are you exchanging? Absolutely. I love that you caught that. Um, the holy water, it's, it's a blessing to go through, uh, trials and to go through (laughs) pun intended. (laughs) 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 That was completely accidental. I don't want to give myself credit there. (laughs) Um, but there is a sacred blessed, um, gift in, in loss. So there's, there's rebuilding new growth, um, takes place where there is loss, where fire has burned. We see in a forest trees trees crop up within a couple of years. And I really wanted to acknowledge that with the holy water that is poured over to put out the fires of the messes that we make. Um, We are so flawed, so broken as people, as beings, but there is this holiness, this sacredness that comes and purges us and brings about a second chance, a renewal. And, and I wanted the listener to feel that in repeating that over and over again, holy water for embers, there's holy water for embers, um, to feel that even in the eye of a storm, in the eye of pain, that there is a holiness and a sacredness that, that deserves and, is, and, and, and deserves someone to sit with that and to know that in this moment, I don't need to be thinking about getting to the other side. In this moment, I can sit in the holiness. We all feel tiny murders every day. Um, whether you watch a white person do a TikTok dance that is so culturally appropriated from Black people and they're profiting and making money off of that and 
and the black creator just goes off with nothing or the person of color, that's a tiny death. That's a tiny murder. And um, I wanted to, to find grounding in that. I think it, it's so interesting now to be able to, to think about things two years later, because this time in 2020, as people of color, you know, people were posting black squares Everyone was supporting Black people. Black lives mattered so much then. Um, I was listening to an, uh, um, a This American Life podcast episode where there was a, um, a, a website that popped up where people were, like white people who were feeling, you know, white guilt were wanting to give Black people money. And Black people could go on this, set up a profile, and a white family or, what, or a person would give you money. So people were asking for groceries all the way to college tuition. And I think how beautiful that was in that moment. But for the white person, does it end there? You've given your $50,000. And do you go back to who you were? Do you go back and exist in, in that lifestyle of, of just life as normal before? Um, that black square, it came and went. Some people still have a black square up. Some people took it down life got to go on for people that weren't from oppressed communities. But for those people, Black people, members of the LGBTQ plus community, um, we still feel that oppression every day and how supportive people were of Black businesses in August of 2020. Where is that support now? It continues. Where's that allyship? And I think, yeah, I, I wanted to hold space for that, that just because for someone they were able to just post a black square and proceed with their life for someone else, there are still embers that are burning two years later. Do you feel like this is a, the pinnacle track on the album? Because a lot of what you're speaking about is how you were explaining the entire project as a concept is embers kind of the, the emblem for the project. Would you say? That's a really great question. I haven't thought about it in that context, but I, I think, yeah, as we're, as we're discussing it right now, I, I do feel that way. Um, that initial shock of pain, it's almost like that first hit, uh, you know, you're, you've hit the ground, you've been attacked and now you're processing. I, I, I do think so. Well, let's move on to the chosen single trials. Yes. such a mood i'm so happy you chose this as the first single <laughs> i'm and glad you like it yeah and it's such a it's such a pivot i think from embers in some ways sonically it flows so amazingly but then it's almost like you're taking this look at all of the hurt in a general sense and then trial starts to take it a little more specific and this is mm -hmm. a relational song from my perspective, listening to it. <laughs> but let's back it up a little bit. Tell us why you chose Trials as the single. How did you come to that decision? It chose itself, honestly. Every part of my, I call them my village, all of the beautiful creatives that worked on this project. Every time I would play them the EP, this was the song they all gravitated towards. So it felt natural to honor that and to and let it be what it was supposed to be. Um, and I also think that it's it's got a sense of dynamism to it. There's a, a darkness and a heaviness, but then there's almost a sense of hope and lightness that still pushes through. Yes, and it's like a groove too. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> when you sing that first <laughs> note, I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's very visceral. You know, you can yeah. imagine yourself in that seat, staring out the window. Yes. Um, taking, I think there's a departure from embers into trials where now the listener is invited to. Um, continue their processing of, of their hurt, their pain, their experience, and now take a look inside into themselves. There's an invitation of accountability that now comes um, with trials of, you know, when, when I sing, you know, I'm wondering why um, I, I shouldn't react like that. But then still, the, the, I, I'm, Kaya is not able to fully grasp accountability mm. she's just kind of tasted it of yes I know I shouldn't react like that 
but you didn't call me back. <laughs> um, and so I think it's just because processing is not linear. Processing doesn't happen in a moment in a song. So I wanted to introduce a sense of accountability, introduce the invitation to accountability um, for the listener as they're on the journey with 17 times. So well said. And you wrote this after Embers, but was this the second song you wrote or where did it kind of fall in your writing process? No, I wrote this, uh, I wrote about, uh, I can't even count how many songs were written and no, didn't make it onto the project, but I wrote it quite some time after Embers. I think even when you listen to the way I'm singing the song, I, I feel stronger when I'm singing the song. I've, there's a sense of peace and acceptance of what has happened. And now I'm just processing, how do I move forward? How do I take accountability for myself? And so I, I wrote it quite some time after. Yeah, because I was going to say you can really sense that growth moment happening here. Even though you're still processing pain, there's mm-hmm. that strength, like you said, that visceralness. And Absolutely. something I wanted to say about Trials is I'm, I'm glad you chose it as a single, but I also think maybe why people gravitated towards it as well is it feels like how I envision Kaya Allo to be. Like, the way the vocal production is, like the voice that you have in this song is Kaya Allo to me. Like it's like the the image of who Kaya Allo is. <laughs> and okay. I think, yeah, and I think there's like a little bit of that attitude, but also acceptance of not being perfectly found yet. But then the strength mm-hmm. in your voice and the production elements, like it's just such a bomb track. I love it. I'm so glad you like it. Um, it was a track that, you know, when artists have that moment in the studio when everyone just throws their hat up and 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 freaks out. Uh, Raja has a really interesting way of how he works. So Raja is one of the producers of um, Trials, Embers, and The Price of Freedom. So he came on board to to bring in a lot of the subtle elements that you hear after Matt Zodeman and Timothonius had kind of laid the groundwork. Raja came in and kind of tied everything together. Um, And when I brought trials to him, he has such a fascinating way of working in that he wants to have a conversation. So you think we're just wasting time talking, but as you're having a conversation, you're hearing random sounds in the background. And it was so weird to me when we first started working because he'd be like, oh yeah, how's your day? And then in the background, I'm telling about my day and you just hear boop, 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 boop. <laughs> all these random sounds. And he's telling you about his day, what he's going through, exciting projects he's working on. And then he'll go, okay, I want you to hear something. And he's come up with a, a beautiful symphony of sound. Oh my goodness. And um, my favorite moment was when he said, let me try something. Do you trust me? And I said, yes, I do. And he played me the second verse of Trials where the time signature changes. Mm. It takes on a three, four time. I would not have visualized that. I would not have even thought to change the time signature halfway through a song. And it works, it flows, it's beautiful. And so, yeah, I, I was so, so gassed. That's one of my favorite moments uh, of this whole project. Okay, Kaya, it's time to talk about the price of freedom. That's what I thought when I first listened to it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, we are a long way from that party now. So tell us where you're bringing us in this track. This track is almost like the allegory of the cave. You've you've moved towards the light and now you make a, a choice to step into the light or step back into what you know before the, tr- the, the EP comes to a close. And with The Price of Freedom, I'm inviting the listener, regardless of race, gender, whatever, because all of us are given choices many times in a day, pivotal moments in our lives where we are called to, to make a choice about something. And every choice in our lives costs something. Um, I teach a spin class on Saturdays called Soft Life Saturdays. And the anchoring motto of the class is let your yes be expensive. And when I say that to my, my writers every Saturday, I'm reminding them that 
yes costs you somewhere and it costs you something. Um, and whether it's a small price you pay or a large price you pay, when you say yes to something, it costs you something somewhere else along the way. And it was a huge lesson I learned with someone on this project where, um, you know, so many millennials, because of life, we have to deal with things being so expensive. You know, we are probably the poorest generation yet. Um, <laughs> it feels like it at least. I don't think that's factual. <laughs> I mean, it could um, be. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, I don't know about the Great Depression, but um <laughs> But with just how all of us have to have multiple hustles just to survive, um, we have to take on quite a few things. But when we take on things, is it smart? What does it cost? Is it worth the price? Um, I wrote it for millennials that are burnt out, taking on too much. And not just millennials, really, but this project is for anybody. Um, have you taken on too much? Has your yes become cheap? Because if so, reevaluate and make your yes expensive again, because when you say yes to something, commit to that. Um, I'd also read the the four agreements over the last couple of years a whole bunch of times. I'm still processing them. Um, the agreement that states don't take anything personally is really difficult for me still because <laughs> I feel so deeply. Um, but the agreement that says um, be impeccable with your word really means a lot to me. If I'm going to say yes to you, if I'm going to commit to something with you, I'm going to make it happen. And if I can't, I'm going to let you know, I'm not going to ghost, I'm not going to bail, we're going to find a solution, or I will give you the decency and courtesy of communicating. I think that's a lost art in our generation, unfortunately. We're the most accessible generation, but somehow we communicate the poorest, which doesn't really make sense to me. Um, and so I was dealing with that on this project with someone that was working on the project where I was struggling with, they were overextending themselves and my project was suffering because of that. And um, it helped me kind of reflect on how I do that in my own life. Um, where do I overextend? Where am I saying yes too much? And what suffers when I say yes too much? And so the price of freedom is just a reminder to remember that when we say yes, we say yes freely, we give our freedom, and we have to be onerous, accountable, and responsible for what we do with that freedom because we are so blessed that we live in a time that we are free. Um, so many of our ancestors did not have the ability to make that choice. They fought for us to have that choice. And now that we have it, what are we doing with our freedom? How are we spending it? How are we using it? So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, call to, it's a call to the, to the listener to make a choice and to walk firmly in the path of that, to walk towards the light out of the cave. I love that. And the title almost evokes this idea. And I think how the song feels too like that paints such a more full picture for me. But I think how, what I was thinking of it at first, it brings you lyrically to this place that's almost rock bottom, but then it brings you back up and even higher than before. It's like yes. you've broken through this thing that was holding you back. And I think that that's really interesting because there's still a price to pay for that type of freedom. Mm -hmm. And one of the lines that I love um, that kind of ties it all together is you sing, the price was worthy of my demise. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you personally feel like you've reached that place of freedom and what that line represents for you. Oh my gosh, you asked the best questions. <laughs> um, I'm still working through that. You know, I think I'm working through so much conditioning as a Black person um, that a lot of Black people are working through where you know, the generation before us, we were taught to just say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, thank you for crumbs. And our generation, because of their, um, their work and their fight, they fought for us to now be in a place of choice. And so now I don't have to um, sell myself into slavery just to get ahead, just to survive. I, because of my ancestors and the backs that I get to stand on, I get to say no. And I get to actually learn what my worth and value is um, and to stand firm and tall in that. I went through a really beautiful experience recently where um, I trained to become a spin instructor and um, it was a long process, like weeks of training, um, really challenging. And I'm really thankful because I got to do with five women that I love and admire. And as we were going through training, 
I was realizing that so much of spin culture is derived from hip hop and black culture. Um, I don't think there's many spin classes that you'll take where you're not going to hear a hip hop song played. But so much of the spin culture that I've been exposed to and I'm familiar with, I don't get to see black people in the room very often. And so I thought about that and I thought about a choice that I got to make as I was training of the instructor that I would become who I would be in this context and that I was going to be fully and utterly myself. My nuance, the way I move, the music I choose, um, I wasn't going to compromise. I was not going to sell myself short. And I'm really thankful that the spin company that I work for so fully embraces differences in culture, in sexuality, in humanity. It's such a safe place for anyone to be themselves. And I'm really thankful that I found a home like that at this spin studio. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I feel like I, I think about how so many times in the past, I was so willing to sell myself short just to be accepted. And that's where that line comes from. Um, I was willing to watch all of my other colleagues get credit and work so hard for, to do a job, to, to put forth excellence in whatever work I was doing and not hear anything, you know, but, but I'm watching my colleagues get praised and I'm watching them um, prosper and, and go further. And I'm here working really just as hard, if not harder. Um, and it still just isn't good enough. And so at some points in my life, I was having to make that choice of conforming um, to my demise just to fit in, just to try to, to, to continue to uh, proceed forward. Um, and I think, yeah, like what we said earlier at the beginning of this interview, that I'm learning not to accept crumbs. And I'm also learning that I am enough and I'm worthy. And it's so funny because my mom has a, a brand. She's a life coach. She's amazing. She's inspirational. And her brand is called Worthy um, because she's also on a quest to help not just people of color, but anybody step into that worth and know that no one else gets to determine that for you. Whether you get praised or not, it doesn't matter. Whether your colleagues are getting complimented or not, and you're just fading into the background and you're watching your moves get used, it does not matter. Know your worth. Um, so that's where that line came from. Just me realizing that, wow, <laughs> at that time, the price was worthy of demise. And in some, in some contexts, um, Unfortunately, we do have to sell ourselves short. We do have to sell our freedom to make strategic decisions for the greater good. And I just hope and pray that as more awareness um, becomes available and accepted and embraced by people, that this is something that fades into the back, that people no longer have to sell themselves just to get ahead. Yeah. Do you see that as like a collective shift happening or do you think that's an individual choice people have to make? It's interesting you ask it that way because I think it starts with an individual first and then groupthink takes over to then influence the collective. Um, I think people wonder that they think about allyship as this huge task, this huge overwhelming quest of, oh my God, I want to be an ally. Does that mean that I have to start an organization and a nonprofit and quit my job and sell my house and become a monk? No, that's, I mean, you can do all that. That's great. But allyship is when you have a BIPOC or LGBTQ plus coworker, how are you giving them a leg up? Where, you where, you where are you using your privilege to help them? How are you supporting them? Um, that's all it takes in a meeting hey, so-and-so, great job on that presentation. That's allyship right there. That's all it took. It didn't cost you a thing. You get a choice. You, you like every single one of Kim Kardashian's posts. She gets 3 million likes a picture. She does not need your like, but you're a BIPOC LGBTQ plus um, member of your community. Imagine how far a like, a share goes for them. And it costs you absolutely nothing to do that. Maybe it costs you four seconds of time. To like, share, done. There's allyship right there. I was laughing so hard because I, laugh I was watching uh, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And there's a study that he was talking about that just came out that poor kids who have rich friends do better in life. And he was laughing that we really didn't need a study to prove this. 
I'm like, okay. Um, but I'm, I'm really grateful that whoever chose to do the study as common sense and nonsensical as it seems, this conversation needs to continue to happen. Those kids in those rich neighborhoods, you have all the best sneakers for basketball. Lend a pair to, to that, that team member that you're playing against that you can see is coming from a community that doesn't have as many resources. Um, and so, yeah, I just hope that people realize that allyship starts with oneself first in small actions, small, 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 and small actions of many people coming together become really big things. And I just hope that people are, are encouraged to do that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you to the Price of Freedom for opening up this discussion. <laughs> So we're at the end of the EP now, Ideas of You, and this is such an intimate ending. <laughs> I feel like I'm really in your head. It's sexy. It's beautiful. It's romantic. Are you trying to evoke here and why does it end the project all of the above <laughs> <laughs> sexy um, <laughs> everything <laughs> um yes it's it's a soft ending you know the the processing i mean processing any kind of journey is never linear it doesn't end there's no finite point but there's a almost as you're going through a hike if you say and you reach a plateau where there's a creek and you get a chance to, to put your backpack down and just sit on a rock and watch the water. This is that moment. You haven't reached a mountaintop yet. Who knows where the mountaintop will be? But it's a soft moment, a softening. The EP is, has got so much depth and so much heaviness and hardness. And Ideas of You is a moment where someone can just settle into the soft parts of humanity where especially, for, and I, I know I keep going back to that, but I can only speak from my experience. I'm a black woman. Um, but obviously this EP, I hope will resonate with anybody, absolutely anybody. All are welcomed into the safety of this project. Um, but as a black woman, I have to be harder than the average person to get through a day. Um, you know, being called the N word in a workplace, um, being called sister, in a spin class. Oh my God. I remember a few years ago. I don't ago, think you told me that. <laughs> oh Lord have mercy. I was taking a spin class a few years ago and the instructor called out, you know, names, named different riders in the class it was great. And I think it came from a really great place. And then they said my name and said, yes, Asha, sister. And I said, are you kidding me? Why didn't you call the white lady in front of me sister too? She is sister too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we have to be so hard into um, conscious and unconscious microaggressions. I wanted to give a space for BIPOC people, members of the LGBTQ, men, women, everyone that fits in between that spectrum um, to just find softness in themselves and to just settle into that softness and be okay with that, mm -hmm. to be human and hopefully as they take themselves beyond this project into their day, into their lives, to think about that softness when we interact with each other, to remember the humanity in each other, the love that should be flowing between people, not just in you know, a sexual context, but from your peers, the love that should flow with your coworkers, your friends, people in your community. Um, I wanted to remind people that love should and still exists. Mm -hmm. Well, I love it because it's like, it's like you, like you said, you haven't reached a plateau necessarily through all these things we've journeyed with you on, but there's this beautiful truth that it's like at the end of the day, the circumstances around you, the pain that you felt, love is a healing agent and you mm -hmm. don't have to have all the answers. You can sit mm -hmm. and, and be loved and be with the people that make you feel good. And that is something that 
almost heals everything. It's like a, it's like that salve. And I think you end that, you end that way. And it's a really great choice. I'm glad that you chose that. Absolutely. I'm glad you feel that. And it was interesting. I was doing another interview this weekend. Um, the, the host was saying, you know, your EP just kept repeating and I, I didn't even notice. And it's intentional that way that it repeats because that is the cyclical nature of all of the things that we are processing in life as, as individuals. You know, you don't solve one issue and think everything is resolved. You get to move on to the next, or if you need to keep going back to this thing, you get to go back to it again. You go back to it again until you feel resolved to move on. So I'm glad you feel the, the, the healing property of this song. Coming to the end of the project, I think how you have projected it into the world, the visuals are very intentional. And I mean, people have been freaking out on your social media, seeing every <laughs> little drop that happens. And the photos are just amazing. Like your outfit, the lighting, each one I feel like could be framed. And I'm not just trying to like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not just trying to like over compliment you. It's really true. They're beautiful pieces of art and it really makes the project complete. Tell us about that process and even how, you conceptualize this whole aspect of what 17 times is. Thank you so much. I'm glad the visuals are making you feel because that's before I had the amazing Monica Somerville write my bio, my only bio on all my platforms just said, feel things. That's all my bio said. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's very eloquently written by Monica Somerville, but um, I had a concept of of bareness. So the actual cover I had in mind is not what we ended up with. It's, mm-hmm. it was a little, too, it was a little too much, you know, a little, a little too, too bare. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wanted people to feel um, the vulnerability of the project as stripping away to get to the core of truth of self, of experience. And so that's the intentionality that comes with what I'm wearing and how, how little I'm wearing. <laughs> Um, I also wanted to, um, pay homage and to my icon, Grace Jones, um, being a black woman who is muscular. Like I just, it's just natural and for like, not unfortunately, let me take that back. I have a muscular build and I own that and I embrace that. You know, I also made the choice to cut all my hair off a really long time ago. So I'm bald. And all of those things are hilarious when I go out. If I'm in the club at 2 a.m. and, you know, people are drunk, they're not really thinking straight. I get those confused looks, you know, and people can't, they don't have the inhibition to to gather themselves and to keep things inside their head when it's showing on their face. And they're looking at me going, is that a man? Is that a woman? I don't know. She's wearing a dress. I don't know. I don't know. Um, And so what? It doesn't matter. Who cares? Wear a dress with no hair, wear a dress with hair, wear it with a beard. And so I wanted to almost pin ode to that with the strength in my body um, to play off of that masculinity, but also the gentleness of, you know, the poses and what I'm wearing. There's such a luxurious nature to the, the accessories. And I have to give so much credit to my stylist, Maham Khan. She had a vision. Um, when I looked at the racks, there was nothing. <laughs> and so I said, what are we wearing? And she said, not a lot. (laughs) Um, But I love how she put the looks together. And she was assisted by uh, Chelsea Kinderchuk and Carl Abad with their jewelry pieces and accessories, which were so beautiful and came together so well. But yeah, I, I feel like I wanted to articulate a vision of masculine meets feminine and when I was now thinking about that, I needed to find a photographer. And I've been a huge fan of the photographer, Jared Batista for many years, seeing his editorial work in print, Googling over it. Um, he does a wonderful job of photographing um, male models, like, you know, classic underwear models, but then bringing something extra out of it, like going beyond their obvious beauty and going to almost the soul of them and taking an image that would just be, you know, hypersexualized, whatever, here's a hot guy with a six pack, but bringing a depth to that. And I've always admired that about him. So I was really honored when I reached out that he even replied. And on top of that, invited me over for dinner. And I call Jared Martha Stewart. 
Um, Jared is an incredible cook, <laughs> um, but I was really, really excited to have been able to create these visuals together with him and to feel seen by him. Um, I also want to give a huge thank you to my makeup artist, Madzy Beauty. She is so incredible and so talented in um, just bringing out my inner beauty. And I'm really thankful to be seen by someone like that. Um, I, I love I love, love, love my team so much. My village that came together and believed in the concept and the vision, saw my vision and articulated it the way they did. This whole project is nothing without them truly. And once we were finished with all of that, of course, we live in the digital age, needing to package it well. Um, I was really thankful to have been able to tap the shoulder of Kevin Wong. He is our fabulous art director who came up with the concepts of all the visuals that everyone is gonna be able to see online, how they are articulated and communicated. He took the images and just brought such a spark to all of them. And I'm, I'm really thankful that he came on board. So yeah, I'm, I'm gushing about my village because I don't think my vision could have come across if it was just me. I'm nothing without them. It sounds like you're super blessed. And you mentioned earlier that you're a perfectionist. And <laughs> so yes. it takes a special team to really execute a vision. And I'm so glad that all that came together for you. I love the imagery. And uh, if people haven't seen it, they should definitely go on your social media and check it out. It's just so fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm so happy you appreciate it. Shout out to the village. <laughs> Shout out to the village. Thank you, village. I wanted to ask you one other question before we end off, and that is about the sound of Kaya Allo. So when I was listening to this record, I feel like the it's it's very unique. Like obviously you're falling into this R&B genre, but it's very like almost floaty, I want to say. I feel like I'm in this like rich cloud of sound, and the, <laughs> there's something so special about your voice in it too the way that it's been produced and put together and, and the, the things you explore in a subtle way with your vocal range are just fantastic. But there's also this, and you touched on this too, there's a dark undertone throughout the whole album. So it feels like a safe space, but then there's real stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Is that a sound that you have crafted specifically for Kaya Allo? Is that who Kaya Allo is? Like where, how did that all come together? This unique sound that is you oh I'm glad you feel that that means so much to me and I have to give so much credit to my sound engineer Shay Michael who understands my voice so well and knows how to mix everything and really get the sounds right um, he's such an integral part of delivering um, the feelings that I want to evoke to my listener um, but yeah when you to your question I, I do hope that Safety is a word that people will associate with Kai Allo when they process, consume, um, engage with my content. Um, I always want to be that because part of my artistry was healing my inner child and, and giving myself a safe space when I didn't feel like I had one. And that's all I want to do. And it's something I love doing for my friends. I love holding safe space for them as they process and feel things. I love being there for people when they go through tough things. Um, I love weathering storms with people. And so I wanted to extend that beyond my close group of friends to any person that ever interacts with my work, that they can come here, they know that they're safe, that they're held in love, and that they get to continue with their day, with their lives a little bit stronger, knowing that they are supported and held and that they have something to come back to and fall back into. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you feel that because that is definitely a mandate that I have for, for my artistry always. Listeners, welcome to the other side. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Kaya Allo. If I've served as a companion for your listening journey, or if you're curious for more, let me know, shoot me a message, review our show, and catch up on everything anti-culture at josiahpodcast.com. You can catch up-to-date information about Kaya Allo by visiting her on social media. I've linked her accounts in the show notes. 17 Times is available wherever you get your music. The song playing right now is Trials off of the project. 
And that is a wrap for season five of Anticulture. I am so grateful to everyone who's been following along despite my up and down schedule this season and a few shuffles in our format. This is my labor of love and my joy and my heart to bring something into the world I can only hope that you will enjoy as well. I want to give a special, special, special thank you to all of our beautiful guests this season. It's been an incredible journey, full of so much diversity. If you haven't heard the season in full, go back and listen to it because it paints such a beautiful picture. Thank you so much to Fatima Hosseini, our Afghani, who joined us for episode one. Saeed, the pastry nerd, who joined us with his French Comorian spice and delight. Thank you to Dominique Keller, filmmaker at Calgary International Film Festival, television host Janella Massa, business owner Mitzi Payne, myself on my Ask Me Anything episode. Actually, thank you to you guys for submitting questions for that fun episode. I loved doing that one. Clayton Thomas Mueller, an incredible chat with him, and congratulations on Life in the City of Dirty Water. Beatrice Martin, better known as Cœur du Pirate, Thank you so much for being on the season. It was a dream of mine to interview you, and I'm so happy with how everything turned out. Ines Shinazi and Danny Afonso in Brazil, thank you for joining me and sharing your beautiful life perspective. Katie Toth, I am so appreciative of sharing your work with us. And last but not least, of course, Kaya Allo, Asha Moyo, thank you so much for being our season finale. And I would encourage you all to meet these wonderful people I got to talk to this season if you haven't already. I'd love to hear from you before I unveil what's next for myself in this space, and I do have some new things cooking. You can follow along by getting on my social media accounts at Josiah Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Connect with me there and keep an eye on that space. I'm Josiah Sinanin from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. See you sooner than later.